G'day Sparta. If you live in Sparta Township, you're probably aware that there's a scandal unfolding in our little community. A cast of different actors, including some members of our elected town council, a property developer from Florida, and a handful of local Sparta professionals were busy during the COVID lockdowns. But they weren't occupied by true crime documentaries on Netflix or epic games of family monopoly like the rest of us. They were busy preparing for a game to be played on a different type of board. Or two boards, in fact. The Sparta Township Planning and Zoning Boards. As I speak, a proposal's before the Sparta Township Planning Board to turn Sparta Ready Mix, a small local concrete supplier, into a multimodal logistics interchange with 191 semi-trailer bays, 307 car spaces, and 50 trailer parking spots. And the scandal isn't just how dramatically incompatible a massive industrial development like this is with our town's already overstretched road and utility infrastructure. It's that while the planning and zoning boards continue to hold public meetings, the proceedings are a sham. And that's because a special exemption exists in our township's approval regime called the Permitted Use Exemption. The exemption exists in theory to make our township more attractive to potential investors by fast-tracking the approval of projects which are directly comparable to ones that have already been studied for their impact to the community. But deep during the COVID lockdowns, when in place of open public town hall meetings, the town council met virtually in a Zoom meeting only accessible with a password obtained only by ringing a specific phone number on the day of the meeting, that the rules which limit the size of a project which can apply for permitted use approval were changed. And they were changed specifically to accommodate the application to develop Sparta Ready Mix, which was lodged by a company called Diamond Chip Realty, LLC. And here's the rub. Because the rules were manipulated in the developer's favour before the application was lodged, the normal legally mandated opportunity for the public to weigh in on the approval doesn't exist anymore. The proceedings are just a show. The Zoning Board have already formally refused to allow the community to speak on the matter. And when the Planning Board deliver their final ruling, they'll be legally precluded from considering the findings of things like a study that shows how much additional traffic the project will push into our school zones. So the people of Sparta have been had. But the characters promoting this development have got a problem. The people of Sparta aren't stupid and they figured out what's going on. And the game ain't over. Two of our five elected council members are speaking out against the process which enabled this monumental failure of local government. And the community are demanding answers. In this podcast, you're gonna hear about the developer, James Ford's checkered history in New Jersey. You're gonna hear about how an engineer paid by the township called Stan Putch has an obvious conflict of interest 
which the township actively ignores, and how Push has already been publicly involved in a corruption scandal in Sussex County. You'll hear about how the township is refusing to release the emails between Push and the elected council members who took his advice and voted the changes through, and how someone is anonymously running a misinformation campaign online about the project. Well, not that anonymously. You're going to hear about a dysfunctional town council where a few bad apples have hijacked the process which is in place to protect our interests, not theirs. But finally, you're going to hear from officials in townships and counties neighbouring ours about how they've dealt with dishonest approaches from property developers in their jurisdictions. And they're going to tell you what they think about the scandal that their peers in Sparta Township are currently tattooing upon their legacies. If our town council won't represent our interests, and if our planning and zoning boards won't even let us speak, then let's have our own public meetings here and discuss the issue openly and honestly ourselves. I'm Jack Wright, and this is not the Sparta Town Council podcast. And while it's unauthorized and in no way connected to Sparta Township, you're going to hear a lot more from the community here than you do in the real meetings. And you might even hear from a couple of the members of the real town council, too. So the company applying to develop Sparta ReadyMix into a logistics interchange is called Diamond Chip LLC. And the bloke from Florida involved in the project, James Ford, is participating via a vehicle that he incorporated in New Jersey called Jim Ford Realty LLC. Now, before we get into our interviews, I want to lay out two examples of how the approval process has been manipulated in the developer's favor. The first is Diamond Chip's legal admission that they influenced the changes to local laws which allowed them to apply under the permitted use exemption. The whole point of the permitted use exemption is that it's just that, the exception, not the rule. And that's because when a project qualifies as a permitted use, the planning board is legally not allowed to consider the impact of the project to the broader community. For instance, a normal application for this project would have required the developer to commission a traffic study that investigates the impact of traffic generated by the project to the entire township. But because Diamond Chip's project now qualifies as permitted use, the only traffic the board is legally allowed to consider is that directly on the site. So the board will rule on whether the number of vehicles on Diamond Chip's lot is safe for Diamond Chip's employees, but they'll ignore whether the project will generate additional traffic in our school zones and what that'll mean for our kids at school. So for the developer to admit that they orchestrated the changes is a very, very big deal. At the meeting where Diamond Chip lodged their application to develop the site, long after the rules were changed in Diamond Chip's favour, their lawyer, 
Stephen Gowen, said under oath and while he was being recorded. Um, I don't think we need to hit every purpose of uh, zoning in the state of New Jersey. That was the reason for adopting the ordinance amendment to the EV zone to, to permit this project. And we are fully consistent with this ordinance. Let me play that back for you one more time, because this is a stunning admission. That was the reason for adopting the ordinance amendment to the EV zone to, to permit this project. One more time. Just because it took me ages to figure out how to make the clip go backwards really quickly like that. That was the reason for adopting the ordinance amendment to the EV zone to, to permit this project. This is not a small admission on behalf of the applicant. It's a massive admission that comes with legal consequences attached. Because what you just heard is the applicant openly admitting that they played a role in influencing the town council's decision to expand the scope of the permitted use exemption to accommodate their specific application. And that's about as far from okay as you're going to get in a permitted use application. So the council members who voted these changes through should be absolutely furious about this, right? Well, some are, but some aren't. And it's time we started asking why. And before you say it, there's no chance that they don't know. Because at the planning board meeting two weeks ago in Diamond Chip's proposal, after a four-minute argument with the board about whether I was even allowed to ask a question, I put it to Ford and Gowan directly. W-R-I-G-H-T. Mr. Roy, clarity. I'm allowing an exception. Thank you. This. Okay. Against some of the other board members, I would ask you to be very direct and pointed. This is not a time. Totally. For, as we've heard, statements. One question. One question so we can move on sure. to the environmental component. You will have additional opportunities to ask questions during this process. Thank you very much, and I appreciate the, uh, the leniency. Um, my, my questions for, for Mr. Goins and Mr. Ford. Mr. Goins, in March 2021, you said in one of these proceedings uh, on record, and I've got the recording, that of the ordinance changes, that was the reason for adopting the ordinance amendment to permit this project. Mr. Ford, you said today, and I'll quote you directly as well, the ordinance changes were to bring the standards in line with 2021. Now, Mr. Goins, by all of the relevant and applicable legal standards that apply to you as a lawyer, you're precluded from lying in this forum. And Mr. Ford, you're under oath. So my question is to both of you. Which one of you's just perjured yourself? Yeah. And then, after trying for several minutes to exclude me from being allowed to ask a question, stunningly, the chairman of the planning board, Andrew Rayner, said this. Mr. Wright, I appreciate you making the mockery of these hearings. Thank you for making a mockery of these proceedings and feel free to take a seat. I mean, is this guy serious? Lying in court is a third degree felony in New Jersey, which carries a three to five year custodial sentence. And when a public official presiding over a sworn legal process feels more infringed upon by a journalist identifying a testimonial inconsistency than he feels compelled to investigate it, then something I'm afraid has gone very, very badly wrong. And Mr. Rayner, if you are listening, you are the person making a mockery of those proceedings, not me. I've never seen anything like them in my entire career.
and I would absolutely love to talk to you about it. So if you've got the guts to front up to the community about what you're presiding over in that planning board, then hit me up on the email in the episode notes and let's tee up an interview. The second thing I'm going to highlight here, and I promise after this I'll give you a break from my non-stop gibbering, is at the very core of how our community has been disenfranchised by Diamond Chip's ability to orchestrate the changes to the laws that their lawyer just admitted to. It's about the interaction between the planning and the zoning boards. Both boards are appointed by the town council, and Hertzberg and Quinn, the two council members who are actively trying to facilitate this project's approval but who refuse to talk to the press, sit on both the town council and the planning board. Not a good start, I know. But the real problem is that the planning board refused to discuss the definitional parameters of whether or not the project actually is a warehouse, saying that they deal in review of the specifics of an application, but not broad definitional issues. Those, they say, are an issue for the zoning board. But when local lawyers Neil Clark and Anand Dash compiled a brief pro bono asking the zoning board to review the project's qualification as a warehouse, they told him to beat it. And I bet you can guess why that is. Because now the project qualifies as a permitted use. Uh, is there a motion to memorialize the diamond chip uh, resolution number 922? That's the chairman of the zoning board, George Parker. Any discussion? Diana, would you call the roll, please? Uh, Dr. Parker, yeah, just to clarify, what can you be very clear on what we're about to do? That's Michael Sylvester, one of the zoning board guys. Sounds like he wanted what's about to happen to be firmly written into the public record, huh? Uh, yes, we're just not taking jurisdiction. Uh, there was an interpretation of whether this was a warehouse or a trucking terminal. The application provides for 191 semi-trailer bays and 50 truck parking spots. So I'm tipping trucking terminals, probably the right call there, mate. And we decided that uh, the planning board had taken it in under their jurisdiction for a warehouse and that if they came up with any information that it wasn't going to be a warehouse, then they would have to send it back to us to do what we do. But at this point, we were not going to take jurisdiction because the planning board had already taken jurisdiction. So the motion being presented is that we are not taking jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want anything to do with this. That is correct. Okay, thank you. Diana, would you call the roll, please? Mr. Lowry? Yes. Mr. Joseph Jack? Yes. Mr. Sylvester? Yes. Mr. Leondi? Yes. Mr. Finkeldi? Yes. And Chairman Parker? Yes. And voila, the zoning board no longer has a stake in the matter. So what you have here is a regulatory setup which gives the impression of consultation with the public, but where there's no actual legal venue for the public to be considered in the approval. And it was all made possible by those seemingly innocent ordinance changes put in front of the town council members in February 2021. And if the town council say they don't understand the way the planning and zoning boards are playing not my problem with the community's concerns, then they're lying. Because I told them about it at the town council meeting last Tuesday. 
We rely on you to do what's so best there's a for the There's an application pending before a planning board. The governing body can't be seen as influencing or trying to get involved with that pending application. So on that precise point, it's a really good opportunity to talk about the black hole, which is the zoning board pointing at the planning board and the planning board pointing at the zoning board. So I attended the zoning board meeting on, I think it was Wednesday last week. It was one of <laughs> last week on Zoom. Um, and they recognised and memorialised the decision that was made at the previous meeting where Anne Dash and Neil Clark's request to have the definitional parameters of what is and what isn't a warehouse discussed was rejected out of hand. They weren't allowed to say anything. They were told that the zoning board will not be engaging with the matter. And then they stated that again on Tuesday night. They said the planning board has taken that under their jurisdiction and so we will not be taking any role in any further. But as you guys all know, when you come here to planning board meetings, and you saw the way I had to carry on like a wally to get even to get a question when I was here last time, like you come to the planning board meetings and they tell you you have to take that to the zoning board. So this is called a regulatory circular reference, and it's being deliberately taken advantage of by the people that are proposing this project. Now I understand, I understand the conjecture about who those people are. I've got my views, but you know they're not relevant, right? But it's very clear that they are taking advantage of this circular reference. And so you as elected officials must not enable them. You must insist on public view. We vote for you to put you in those chairs to protect our, our community from this sort of predatory development and you've been asleep at the wheel. And this is your opportunity to stop it. Okay, I promise the intros won't be as long in subsequent episodes, but I just had to get all that out. Feels quite cathartic. Uh, on episode one of Not the Sparta Town Council podcast, we've got two guests who are going to shed probably more light on this fiasco than anyone else uh, could, barring those who are still participating in it. First up's Mike Devine, a resident of Sparta for 40 years and a former member of the town council where he served for 10 odd years. And second is current council member, Dan Chiariello, the only town council member to vote against the ordinance changes when they were dishonestly presented to the legislature. And he's going to tell us exactly what's going on. So without further ado, Here's Mike Devine. <laughs> yeah, the coffee's strong, right? Um, is that is that a trick or something? I'm a- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what I'm going to do for everyone who comes to speak on the Sparta podcast is going to have to have a cup of Italian coffee and then there'll be amps. I, f- I feel moved to speak Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we might have to do an Italian version. Um, so thanks so much for coming on to our fun new show, Mike. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of background on who you are, how long you've lived in the area, that sort of stuff? Sure. By education, I've uh, majored in physics, psychology, philosophy. I have some graduate degrees in physics. I... Uh, Worked for about 30 years as a physicist, research physicist for the Department of Defense. Wow. And the last job I had was as a director of Picatinny. If you're familiar with Picatinny, I was the overall director of that place. Is that Picatinny Arsenal you're yes. talking about? Yeah. Yes, Picatinny Arsenal. And then uh, 
I, after I left there, I worked for about 10 plus years in industry, and then I retired. I have a wife and three grown daughters. The younger two are identical twins, which was a lot of fun. Bought a house here in 78. We've lived a number of places since then, but always kept this house as a place to come for summers, and I would never plan to leave here. Yeah. Um, I had no idea about your background in physics. So my, one of my younger brothers, and they're twins, incidentally, but one of them is a um, is a astrophysicist, so he got the brains in our family. But um, but I'm fascinated by all that sort of stuff. So we'll have to we'll have to um, talk about that topic another time. But we're going to talk about something much more close to home. So I think the best way to kick off would be: Could you give us a little bit of background about your time actually in the town council as well? Because I think you can give us some really you can explain to people how this process usually works and why this was different. Let me step back a little bit further and I'll be quick. Uh, I guess it was the late 80s. I had a flooding problem in my house. In fact, my whole neighborhood. So I mounted a one-man campaign to get the county, the town, and the lake to finally come together after a year and pay to fix the drainage problems. $150,000 put in uh, drainage wells and all kinds of things. I guess I got the attention of the trustees at Lake Mohawk because they approached me and asked me to run for trustee. I did that. Two-thirds of the way through my first term of three years with the trustees, at that time, the town and the council were really at, I mean, the council and the trustees were really at odds. They viscerally hated each other. I don't know why. So somebody said, we need to get a, a Lake Mohawk trustee to run for council who can maybe help mend this gap. So I got nominated, I agreed to do it, I ran and I got elected, and then I ran and got reelected, then I resigned or I quit, but somebody left and I had to go fill two years of his term. So I kind of backed into politics, I wasn't political to begin with, but once I got on the council, I really began to see that I thought my experience, my managerial and executive experience could be beneficial. I had a great relationship with the professional town manager we had then. A number of big problems and big opportunities came about, and we were able to do a lot of positive things and kind of counter a number of negative things. So in short, that was my uh, political career. Mm. Was there any um, time during that period, <clears throat> you said you count, were able to counter some negative things. Did you encounter um, developments that were in, inappropriate that you had to block in some way, or was it other sorts of issues? It's it's similar. There was a, uh, if you're familiar with the limestone quarry, that's not too far from where the current development's talking about. There were issues with uh, things, particulates coming into the air that the local people were concerned were hazardous, toxic. So we had a year or two uh, involvement with that and finally ended up uh, coming to agreement that the thing would reduce its operation. And we put monitors in place and so forth. And it was negative in the sense it was great hostility and screaming at all the council meetings, similar to what you're familiar with now. <laughs> what I've been participating in now. Yeah. I noticed you were there once or twice. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but in any event, that was done. But we had, on the other hand, we had many positive things. I hear Germany Flats Aquifer. Years back in Sparta, we used to have to ration water literally every summer. You'd have to odd, odd and even, depending on your address. You could use water certain days and not other. I mean, the water wow. lawns, not to drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just inadequate water supply. So one day I said to the manager, can't we do something about this? Can we find another water supply? Mm -hmm. Long story short, we discovered Germany Flats Aquifer, and that's how that came to be. Oh, okay, cool. That's a good story. I didn't know that. And then when did you first hear about the diamond chip proposal to build um, this intermodal logistics interchange? 
Well, I spend, uh, we've had a house in Florida for many years, and we typically go there from December to May. Came back a little bit early this year, and I started to see things in the paper and hear things from, I still have a lot of contacts through the town. And I started to hear this, and I got more and more concerned about it. And I talked to people in various positions, and I started to make my feelings known through uh, the SRD Sparta Responsible Development Group, yep. SRD website and on and on it built from there. And I spoke with uh, Neil and uh, Anand and some other people and seemed to be increasingly involved in it. And I started to attend meetings. So I would say probably June or July is when I first became aware of it. Yeah. And what, I mean, if you were to summarize what you think's um, wrong with the way that this approval process has been discharged, what, what would you, how would you uh, summarize that? Well, it, it, it's clear to me, and maybe stepping through it slowly, because it's a little bit complicated and important, that mm-hmm. if they had this Harbor Associates consultants look at ways to make better, fuller use of the economic development zone, and in general, that's a good thing. I mean, I was there when the economic development zone was created, and it was a good way to make use of that area of Sparta. One word we seem to have forgotten is we look for light industry, emphasize light. Okay, not major things like you're talking about now. Mm. So evidently that Harbor Associates recommendation to Plenty Board was to make the changes to impervious cover and allow for different uh, building sizes if you're adjacent to the railroad so you can incorporate the rail cars into your business. Again, it sounds okay, not bad, reasonable. Mm. And then that eventually made its way up to an orange change. So on the surface, it looks like, well, okay, it's kind of normal business. Then you find out that, in fact, maybe, and there were meetings ahead of time with Diamond Ship, and maybe, in fact, as Diamond Ship has said, the changes were directly to allow them to come in. Mm. Again, not necessarily terribly bad. What concerns me the most is the lack of diligence, either by the professionals or the council or whatever, to say, what are we opening the door to here? Is this something right. we'd consciously want to invite this kind of a thing, even if they hadn't talked to Diamond Ship? I talked to that Mr. Bernicke, I believe, and mm, yeah. he even admitted at the meeting, I don't know if you were there, he said, yeah, well, I said, wouldn't it have been prudent for professionals at that point to say, what are we opening the door for? If they read their periodicals, they would know that mega warehouses are becoming a, a thing, a, yeah. Yeah, plague. And he says, yeah, but most of them were uh, – on highways and turnpikes. I said, oh, really? I wonder why that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's insane. My, one observation that's really important to me of what of what you've just laid out is like, of course, we, you should, we can't be automatically against all big developments. Like from time to time, there will be, you know, some there will be good reason to do a development which is inconsistent with what we have here now, right? It's not going to be the same forever. But this one is so different and has been marshaled through the process in a way that reduces the community review. That's what really jumps out to me. It's like, if it's a bigger project, which is more of a step out from what we're used to, that probably means we need more community review, not less. And the way that this has been managed has been done in an underhanded way so that the community review sort of just gets swept to the side. Do you think that's a fair description? Reasonably fair, and I'll give you a little bit of a contrary uh, assessment. Having been on the council and the planning board in all those years, there often is not very much attention to local elected elections until something like this happens. Yeah. And there's also plenty of formal notifications of when things are being heard and so forth. Mm. People don't pay as much attention to that as they should. What I said early on is the town could have easily recognized the magnitude of this and the potential impact and maybe gone to a little extraordinary means to incorporate the public early on. So. Mm. 
my recommendation would be, look, if you're looking to elect people who are going to handle things, look for people. I mean, it's nice to have neighbors who love the community or nice people and all that stuff. You actually need somebody with some executive and managerial experience who is familiar with how to drive and direct these things, how to incorporate people's opinions, et cetera. So you have to work more on the front end and not rely on the situation to come to your your awareness whenever it should, because that doesn't doesn't happen. Right. So that's such a good point. So you're saying this is a, like a wake-up call that we need to insist on better gatekeepers, really, right? I would absolutely agree to that. And I'm not really criticizing people. This is how it works in a small community. Yeah. But you can you take a risk when you put people in who are lovely people but not necessarily managerial material. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been banging on about at the, at the meetings and stuff is um, the way that the zoning board is sort of pointing at the planning board and the planning board's pointing at the zoning board insofar as um, allowing a discussion that about whether this is a warehouse or not to, to go ahead. So Annan Dash and Neil Clark prepared a motion to, to have the zoning board review that and they the zoning board said because this has been a permitted use and the planning board has um, stipulated that you know, that, that it qualifies under the permitted use parameters in that forum. They seem to be willing to just wash their hands of it. So it's not a zoning board issue anymore. And maybe that is the right decision. I'm not sure of what the rules are. But but when the planning board won't talk about the definition of a warehouse, then that means there's actually nowhere that any member of the community can actually stand up and ask the question, hey, this thing's got 191 semi-trailer bays. Is it really a warehouse? And <laughs> Probably not, right? But we can't ask that question anymore. Well, that that's one aspect of it, and I agree with everything you said. I was, frankly, very disappointed that of all three boards, no one was willing to take it on publicly head-on. Mm. You could probably argue that all three of them are strictly within their lane, so to speak. Yeah. But it would be nice. There's this thing called leadership. When you see the community, like, boiling the way it is, when you see an enormous impact for decades on your community— Maybe you should step outside of your typical roles and try to find a way to get some dialogue going and get to a point where the public understands and feels like they're being listened to. Yeah. And that's such a good point because I don't think that there's anything, excuse me, anything illegal that, you know, that that, I'm not certainly not alleging that it's, it's more that there is this really narrow set of circumstances, which can arise, particularly if you manipulate the ordinances in the way they have, where everyone is kind of to the letter of the law doing what they should do, but there's but, but there's a problem in that outcome. There's no actual community consultation in that outcome. And so you're right, somebody should stand up. And, and, to, and you know, I think I think to some extent, um, Dan Chiariello and, and Molly Wildsmith are doing that, right? I agree. Because they've had to be really brave, like to, to go out on a limb and, and like they're both going to appear on this show. And like they've had an enormous amount of pressure to – to sort of just acquiesce to this and just let it happen. And um, and so they, you know, they are standing up. But more broadly, you're right, it's a point about leadership. The situation now where we find ourselves, it, it feels like, so the mayor, the deputy mayor, and um, council member Quinn won't talk to me. Do they ever talk to you? And if so, what are they, what are they saying to you about this? Well, can I just say that I've had some conversations, I wouldn't like to be specific, so, because I've, I've committed to uh, confidentiality, it's been a range of conversations. Yeah. I'm not saying yes or no, but yeah, that's all right. No, I'm not going to press you to, to on that. But you know, it's 
it is very unusual for for politicians to completely disengage from the press and their communities and and not be willing to to make on record statements and like it just I, I don't know if these guys are ever gonna gonna understand that they're gonna at some point they're gonna have to talk to the public about this right. Well, my fear is, and they recognize that. First of all, I, there are a lot of constraints on, as you know, when there are concerns about personal liability and any other number of things, which I completely understand. But I keep hearing, well, the planning boards has to take all their testimony, then they'll make the judgment, and then we'll talk about it. I said, well, it's too late then. I mean, yeah, you're going to be can't. talking after the fact. It's going to have no impact. Well, that's kind of what the, it seems to me like they're trying to they're, they're hiding behind this, oh, you know, Hertzberg and Quinn, I'm on the planning board, I can't discuss it. But you also appear to be the people who marshaled this whole thing through the process, right? So, like, that that's a problem. If if you're allowed to sit on the town council and the planning board and then the minute that the application is lodged, you just absolve yourself of any responsibility to engage with the community, then that's a terrible set of incentives for, for somebody who's working in planning approval and regulation. It is in the... Uh just a little bit of a diversion. Years back when I was on the council and the planning board, we did a major revision of the master plan. Mm -hmm. And that's when the main street redevelopment came about. A whole number of really good things happened. Mm. We had a number of public meetings where they were encouraged to read it, to comment. It was a moderate participation. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years later, I was on the planning board and they said, let's look at the last update. So they opened up, Michael Devine, who's that? Well, that was me. <laughs> okay, this, this is how it worked. At that point in time, we we had a big public thing, and that's how it worked. Uh, My biggest disappointment, and I can understand you're kind of tongue-tied now for various reasons, somewhere along the line, somebody should have looked outside their normal role and said, we're going down a really difficult avenue here. This could uh, have endless, devastating impact of the town. Yeah. We better call a halt and and figure this out. Well, and another point on that, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and that's the that's the most important takeaway from this whole process is that going forward, you know, we need to be more proactive as an electorate in holding our elected members to to um, account. But um, this whole thing of now, you know, the point we are in the process where Molly Wildsmith is you know, going to talking about introducing this motion to rescind the ordinance laws. But now what you're seeing is Hertzberg and Quinn in particular, and, I, and I'm sure the, the mayor's the same, but starting to hide behind this shield of, well, if we reverse them, we're going to get sued by the developer. Now, I got a couple of thoughts about that. The first is like, I'm pretty sure that the town would rather have a township with a lawsuit and no trucking terminal than no lawsuit and a trucking terminal. So that's the first thing, right? And that's going to be sort of the first question I ask most people <laughs> going forward. But secondly, like, they don't, you can't make an error of local government and management and then hold a gun to the head of the community after the fact and say, well, we can't reverse the mistake I made because then we're going to get sued by a property developer from Florida. Like, that's just not how it works. Um, you know, we have to insist on a better process. And if, if that results in some sort of lit litigation against the township for the mistake they made, then so be it, right? Oh, yeah, I agree. The fear of litigation, I don't think, can let you stop from doing what makes the most sense. Uh, what, what, what Molly evidently is trying to do is to get the fact that the ordinance change was based on faulty or incomplete or incompetent information. Mm. So do we get a chance to revisit that? That, I think, has some promise. I, yeah. I don't know how that will proceed or where it goes, uh, but I, I do understand the fact that they are, as I said before, they're kind of got their hands tied, but there's every opportunity to step outside. There's a good, probably going to yeah. be, well, I, I don't know, frankly, if I were Diamond Chip, 
And it's so obvious how the town doesn't want this, how I've been on record with conflicting things. Well, the ordinance was changed because of us. Do you really want to go to a lawsuit with all those kind of negative things against you? Well, that's the, that's a, a really important point is that the people that are trying to promote this project are exaggerating that risk. Now, I'm not a lawyer, right? Like I'm not, you know, handing out legal advice, but like this, this whole process is, is so overtly wrong and there's so much on record testimony, which would be incredibly embarrassing to the developer it, were they to, to have to have it, uh, you know, sort of surveyed and scrutinized in a proper legal forum that I reckon they probably would just walk. Now, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just guessing, right? But then that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm doing this. Like, I, I want to, I want to put in a really obvious way the 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 fact that the community is so unanimously against this thing. Well, if you see online, I'm sure you do the things that Neil Clark mm. puts out. How many communities are fighting this? I mean, it, it's it's be obvious to anybody that pays attention. Yeah. Such as such as a superior court judge, that this is really not a good thing for a small community like Sparta. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunities for vacant warehouses or lots of room and highways and turnpikes. Mm. Why are you shoving it down this town's throat? And why are you on record doing things that have at least bent the rules, if not broken them? Yeah, yeah. No, I think absolutely. Um, so it does feel like there might be some um, some hope in 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 wildsmith's um moves to to rescind the the laws but i think it's it's not going to happen super quickly is my sense like i feel like there's going to need to be more pressure well it, it's i don't know if you were at the meeting you kind of referred to it when i tried to speak to the council as an ex-council guy and a longtime sparta resident i heard you yeah i was saying yeah talk let's talk man to man here man to woman don't let this stupidity happen i mean find something out instead of having Molly and maybe Dan, the lone wolves trying to do this. Why don't you get your attorneys looking at things and mm. be right to try to make sense out of this? You don't have to be driven by the process to a terrible outcome. Exactly. You know, get the council working on a way to solve this instead of just being victimized by what's happened. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And that the whole, I mean, it, the, the lawyers are clearly telling them not to, not to speak to anybody about it. Right. But like, I, I just can't think of a more, unacceptable setup than a town lawyer who's paid with tax dollars of the residents of the town advising the elected officials not to talk to the community about this. Like, I'm sorry, not okay. Well, and not to be uh, personal, I don't know any of the current town attorneys. I do know Tom Collins and mm. tremendous respect for his knowledge as a municipal land use attorney. He knows a lot. Mm. I think Tom is very uh, diligent in his job. I remember when I work with him, it sometimes you have to try to get him to give opinions because I don't think he sees his role as giving opinions or raising concerns and so forth. Mm. But we're at the point now where they need to mobilize and get on one page and try to, what are we going to do? Are we going to let this happen? Are we going to, at the risk of a lawsuit or whatever else, let's take some positive action? Well, I think that's a good uh, note to finish on because, yeah, I think that's where I think this discussion ultimately is headed. It's probably headed down the route of, okay, if we concede that the township will expose itself to some legal jeopardy by rescinding these laws, are we okay with that? And then see what happens. And as you know, as we said just before, I think there's a fairly good chance that nothing happens. But, but um, you know, that's that's I think where we're going to. And it's a pretty good place. It's a good discussion to have because more constructive than just you know everybody screaming and shouting and carrying on about it. 
I mean, I've heard many uh, threats of litigation over the years, and you can't let that drive you. I mean, no, that's what property developers do. It's part of the, part of the business model, right? Like it, it is so long as there are local regulatory processes that that govern the way that industrial developments are built, there will always be property developers and lobbyists whose whose skill it is is marshalling these things through the approval process, and like that's what's happened here. But it's just gone a bit too far. Yeah, well, I've been in business for a number of years, and as you know, there's the bottom line. You may have a CEO, you may have stockholders, and they're not interested in the discussion. They're interested in the bottom line. And I appreciate these guys trying to do it, mm. but I don't think we need to be victimized for their bottom line. Yeah. All right, Mike. Thank you very much, mate. I will, uh, I'll see you at the next meeting, I guess. I hope so, and you're quite welcome, and I really appreciate everything you're doing for this cause. It's, it's recognized and well-known, and thank you. Thanks, man. Cheers. What a good guy, right? And smart, clear, and just common sense stuff. I couldn't help but wish when I was conducting that interview that Mike was still one of our town council members. Um, Our next guest is Dan Cariello. Um, Dan is the only member of the town council who voted no. Um, I sat down with him on Monday afternoon and we discussed uh, what's going on at Sparta Township. All right, Dan. Well, thanks so much for joining. Uh, Thank you for having me. The Sparta Podcast. Here we are. Um, so, why don't you, to begin, just give us um, a bit of background on how long you've lived in the community, where you grew up, and um, the role that you play now in the township? Cool. Um, I was born uh, in Dover General Hospital, but lived. I grew up in the Hopatcong. Lived there most of my life until uh, we got married. How do you sort of find yourself uh, in the middle of this unfolding situation with Diamond Chip? It is interesting. So I, I was a soccer coach in town for many years. I want to say like I don't know, 15, some, 20 years or oddish. Um, coaching both my kids and, and <laughs> all the other kids that came up with them. Uh, hundreds of kids over the years. And that was my way to contribute uh, and, and volunteer my, my time for the town. My kids stopped playing soccer. I now have time for the town that I wasn't using and thought that I, uh, I thought about running for something, yep. thought I would be good at it. Uh, I'm a, I'm a project manager, business analyst, data analyst by trade. So kind of analytical, thought, uh, managing situations, uh, thought I would be good at this. I, um, but then I thought, you know, who would, who would vote for me, right? I, I coach soccer. Yay. <laughs> so um, I thought maybe I'd run for board of ed. A lot of the parents probably still knew me. Uh, my son, my youngest son, uh, uh, decided at that time too. He was going into a senior year in high school, turned eighteen. Thought, hey, I'll I'll run for board of ed. I can run for board of ed, can't I? And I'm thinking, yes. And right away, he was like, Dad, I don't want this to be the father son team. And I'm like, okay, how about this? You run for board of ed. I'll run for town council. Okay, so it's like a ticket. Um, so he uh, he lost actually by like ninety votes. Oh, that's a shame. Um, but um, so. But this was like around no, uh, November when I jumped all in and thought, 
if I'm going to go to, if I'm going to run for this job, I should start going to these meetings. And so I've been to, mm. uh, for a year before I got uh, the election, I was at every meeting. Um, I think I missed one. Um, and so that's how I got in. But, but you get in to just do the right thing. You're in a town like this, you're picking up garbage, you know, fixing potholes, uh, plowing the streets. That's yeah. Um, and setting a good budget. And that's really what you should really be confined to doing. Mm. You know, the town has issues. Um, we've had problems with uh, sewer connections uh, um, and you get past that. And we have, um, we had a couple of years ago, we had um, something come up with the parking lot at like Mall Country mm. Club, which you might be familiar with. Um, yeah, I know about that one. And, you know, it was, it was a problem. There were in, uh, issues and we solved it. And so you're thinking that's kind of where it should reside. And yeah. And now something of a much different scope has come along. Yeah. So why don't we um, move on to the to the diamond chip proposal? So first, do you want to tell me about the meeting when the ordinance changes were originally proposed? Um, perhaps if you could tell us how a change like that is typically managed through the legislative process, like what what happens. Um, and then and then um, I'm going to ask you a few questions about, you know, some of the, the revelations, which we now know, um, and then, you know, have been admitted by the developer that, that they played a role in influencing that decision. Um, and, uh, and I guess I'll, I'll want to sort of understand why you had the foresight to vote no at the time, because you were the only person who clocked this for, for what it was. I was. Um, so let me go off on a little tangent. I'll explain, um, why I, I cannot and should not comment on the on the application itself. I'm I'm happy to talk about the process, um, about the ordinance change, but uh, I, I, it's, it is not appropriate. And and picture for yourself, you know, we're all um, New York Mets fans, mm. and um, we love the Mets, and our two favorite teams are the Mets and anybody who plays against the Yankees. Yeah, and so um, uh, uh, we 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 make an ordinance change that allows for a certain building to be built. And along comes a bunch of Yankee fans that come along and want to build that building. And then the, the town says, well, we, we can't have that. So let's change the law so that those Yankee fans don't do that. That paints it in a different light. Uh, and you can substitute Mets and Yankee fans for anything you want. And, and now you're dealing with a situation where your applicant might feel like um, this isn't fair. Hmm. And so um, uh, at this, so people like to, people, I shouldn't say it that way, the Township council is kind of viewed as the the papa organization with everybody else. That's not actually how it works. And I'm not a lawyer to tell mm -hmm. you exactly what the relationship and the structures are. But in any case, uh, there are each or each board organization has their their jurisdiction, their playground, mm -hmm. and one should not be seen as influencing the other. And so the planning board is is tasked with what the town looks like, what can be built there, um, and and what the what the what the future construction might look like and 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 so on and so when when the ball is in their court they need to it's their game and uh, we back off and let them play and that's that's good that's healthy and that's how it should be yeah um so that said you want to talk about the ordinance so, change so so yeah steering away uh, but thanks for clarifying that that issue because it it does feed into you know one of the obstacles for to community engagement when something like this happens you know is that some people the, the board the town council does get yep. conflicted out of speaking yep. about it after the fact you're the papa bear why aren't you doing anything about it it's not our thing That's to do true. and we've we've got to um but you know what what that means is that we have to figure out how to to cut this this sort of thing off before that point in the yep. in the discussion yep. which is that we need to insist on elected officials who 
we'll view we'll look at these ordinance changes closely for what they may um you know m- make possible in the future and you do that by voting by voting yeah that's right that's right um but so but as as it pertains to the the general ordinance changes because they're so relevant to understanding what's going on here um could you tell us sort of in your own words what happened in that meeting in february uh 2021 right right so so let me go back to you asked about the the how these things actually how does a an ordinance become a a bill or whatever and so these uh the the town and i'm not on the town planning board. Um, but uh, my understanding of it is, is that they're, they're tasked with uh, developing a master plan and then looking at changes to land use that will fit the master plan. And so that's kind of the the primordial soup of ordinance mm. changes that arise from this planning board deciding, hey, wouldn't we want to encourage this, discourage this, tweak this, whatever. And those ordinance changes are discussed there. And then eventually they will, uh, when the board agrees on something, it'll bubble up to the council to actually vote on it. it. So the, while the planning board doesn't enact changes, they will recommend them, um, submit them, whatever, use your, whatever verb there is. And the council will, will, um, will approve them, uh, or disapprove them whenever. The vote so in this them. case, did those ordinance changes that we're, that, that, um, we're talking about. So the increasing of the permitted height or the height for permitted use project and the expansion of the impervious coverage ratio, were they brought to the town council by the planning board? Correct. Yep. And that was um, who, who was who was on the planning board at that time? The same people that are on there right now? I believe so. I be, I'm trying to think of the the last planning board election, uh, or when we oh, every year we usually end up replacing or or naming people because they are a year later when it was put up. Right. And so, and two members of the town council also sit on the planning board, right? Right. And again, I don't. There is a, a legal path to this thing, which I'm going to get wrong if I try to get too specific. But the mayor can has a designation, I believe, and the, the mayor can designate him or herself to be on the planning board or have a a delegate to represent him or her on the planning board. Right. And then there is some a, a class two or class three. I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm not going to go much further. <laughs> okay. But the um, uh, there is another township uh, official that sits on one of the boards, statutory boards, committees councils, whatever, that can also be represented on the on the planning board. Um, you can look up the ordinance and find out exactly how um, how the process works. I've read it a couple of times. Um, I've, but anyway, so we, we get to, uh, there's another person and that person is, uh, so that's how we have both two, we have a, the mayor and the, um, uh, and, well, actually we don't have the mayor. We have, we have uh, Councilwoman Quinn and Deputy Mayor Hertzberg. And I believe one of them is, uh, Mayor Smith's delegate, um, yeah. and the other one is named as one of the people on the board. Yeah, which is interesting because they're the two that seem to be um, trying to facilitate this project's approval, right? I don't uh, know. But I, yeah, no, no, sorry, you, you don't need to comment on that. Um, okay, and so when when an ordinance change or a potential ordinance change is brought to the town council, then what happens? Um, so the 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 it, it's a two step process where the ordinance is first introduced. Uh, and and that uh, officially kicks off the review and discussion. And so at the point where it's introduced and we vote to introduce it, uh, there is no discussion on the merits of the ordinance at that time. We can discuss the introduction of it, but not the policy. Uh, and after it's introduced, then it's in the public realm. The public can look at it, digest it, and then comes the next meeting when there is a hearing where we do vote on it. So it's a two-step process in the cycle. Okay. And um, And... 
during that process, is there is there advice given to the town council members on how to interpret the proposed changes? Trying to think, um, that doesn't always occur. In fact, um, uh, it it almost I, I from memory, I'm trying to think of I was ever offered advice without somebody asking for it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think you asked me earlier on how what was the how when this thing came about, why did I have the foresight? if that's the right word. Uh, why did I ask so many questions about it and why did I, I vote the way I did? Um, and I think it really came from something that was not related to this. It was a year before where an ordinance change popped up to permit very large apartment complexes in our downtown uh, uh, zone. If, if, in downtown, if you carve out the, the square, Main Street, Sparta Ave, and then around the, sh- the stop and shop and back, mm-hmm. um, that area uh, was we had an ordinance change to allow for up to 100 unit apartment buildings or or, right. or something. And um, I was taken aback by that there something. And I mentioned this uh, in the public session that something like this is impactful. Um, that has the that has the potential to to drag dramatically alter the way Sparta looks. Mm. And shouldn't the public have some sort of stake? Shouldn't we tell the public this is going on? And yeah. the answer, the answer, of course, was, well, we do. We do have an agenda. It is posted on our website. The meetings are known in advance. Somebody could come. I and I made a comment at the time. I think something as impactful of this should have a little bit more rigor right. or <laughs> around this about telling every telling people this is what's going on. Yeah, I, so I think that I looked into this the other day. I'm pretty sure that the law says they have to advertise it in three places, and it's like they do the bait, they do the bare minimum. Like there's a there was a poster somewhere and all this sort of stuff. Like, I mean, there's no there didn't there doesn't appear to me to have been a a very um, as to borrow your word rigorous effort to advertise this to the public, right? There was not, but I, I under no circumstances would ever believe that we violated the. <laughs> that's that's kind of what this whole scenario is about. It's not about about some people breaking the law. I mean, I'm not saying that that categorically hasn't happened, but I I don't know that it has, and I haven't seen evidence that it has. Um, But but it's all more about sort of operating in the margins of what is and isn't permitted to the letter of the law and generating an outcome which is not in the interests of the community is sort of what I think's you know gone on in parts of this. So um, when um, when you do ask for clarification on what an ordinance change might entail then what happens uh well typically uh that uh, the the matter would be referred to our engineer who kind of oversees that um sometimes the the lawyer will weigh in to our our legal counsel will weigh in to to say to share about that um aspect of of the the change Um, and who's the engineer engineer uh right now we have i don't know if you call him an acting engineer we do not have a full-time engineer uh we our engineering services are outsourced to cp engineers that is mostly managed by Stan Putsch, who I believe is one of their principals. Although I'm not familiar with the structure of CP engineering uh, to tell you exactly what his role in the organization is. So why at the moment do we not have a town engineer and, and we give all the work to this this one firm? Why does that happen? We had a full-time engineer. I believe somebody told me at one point we had two, but that might have been, that was way before I was in the council. But when I joined the council, there was a full-time engineer um, whose name escapes me, but if I heard it, I would know. Um, the person um, did leave us, uh, uh, retired, or I believe had a an offer out of state and, and left the state. Left um, fairly, um, I want to say abruptly, he was, you know, it was polite. It wasn't like, you know, I'm gone tomorrow by. Um, but uh, we had uh, we had a lot of work 
um, on the plate at that time, a lot of very big projects, and we needed somebody in a pinch and could not go through the time, the uh, time to, you know, the hiring process and whatnot. Um, but also know that um, our engineering, even if we had a full-time engineer, uh, our engineer doesn't do 100% of everything. Uh, the What I call the garden variety stuff will usually be handled internally if we have an engineering hearse, but that at some point we'll have some specialty work where you'll have to hire a specialty organization that is that has a focus in I don't know building dams or or something and so maybe our engine our full time engineer is really good at roads right uh, but when I have to build a new um, a new um, sewage treatment plant maybe that's something I I, I outsource so in any case um, it's it would it would never be a binary where I'm, I'm fully in. I only have internal engineering, uh, but in any case, so the person left, and uh, we looked to CP engineers, um, and CP engineers um, has been our sole. I don't know if it's sole provider. I can't say that either. But um, yeah. Uh, so one of the one of the the aspects of all this that I've that is um I've found in my reporting is that so so that firm CP engineers. Um, and the principal being Steve, Steve Push, Stan Push, um, they get paid a retainer by the township, but they also get paid um, on a per project basis out of the escrow funds that are posted by each prospective property developer. So, I mean, to me, that looks like a it is a pretty um, glaring conflict of interest from a regulatory standpoint, um, given that these guys you know, have a scalable financial incentive that's attached to accelerating the size and the um, frequency of, of project approvals. Am I, what, what do you think about that view? You know, I don't, um, I don't manage the uh, vendor relationships with the town. The, um, the, the town, our town structure, uh, and, and actually I found a lot of people didn't know this because I, when I mentioned I'm on the town council, um, they assume that that's my full-time job. And the answer is, <laughs> no, I have a full-time job and this is just my, my fun project. Yeah. Um, so, and n- none of us are, um, uh, have, are full-time. In any case, in Sparta, uh, we have a part-time or a volunteer um, council uh, that does policy decisions. So we don't do the, uh, we, we, do, we do the what's and not the how's. Uh, so think of it as the, the Congress and the administration in, in the United States government. The, so the, the president and the administration does the implementation, but when you go to, you know, should I do it this way or that way, that goes to the council. Okay. And so our town manager will manage the relationships with the vendors and, and the contracts. Um, I will only get involved when there's a choice to make about policy. And that's Neil Spitaletto. Is he the town manager? Yeah. The acting town manager, I think, is this official title. Our, our town manager re- retired last year in um, April 1st, I believe. And uh, we needed someone uh, in the interim. And uh, Chief Spitaletto was our police chief and, and remains our police chief and is now filling both roles and um, as an acting town manager as well. Interesting. Um, so back to the, the um, ordinance change. Um, so when you voiced your concerns, um, you know, which ultimately led you to vote no as the only dissenter, what, what sort of reception did you, did did you receive? Do you recall, um, you know, whether or not there, whether or not your concerns were addressed in any way? Um, I did uh, receive uh, quite a bit of pushback. Um, I, I, so I I took you back to that uh, apartment building ordinance uh, and that kind of um, made me wary where is the wrong word? Sit up and take notice that I need to be very careful about uh, these ordinance changes that come across you know, my desk, so to say. And so when this thing, uh, when I was 
so let me take you <laughs> off another little tangent. The the meetings we 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 um, the council meets twice a month, second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. Uh, usually the the Thursday before the Tuesday meeting, the mayor and deputy mayor and um, and town manager and maybe others will, will get together. Nobody else from the council, but um, at least those three will get together, talk about the agenda for the next meeting. And then usually by Friday or maybe Saturday morning, sometimes that happens on a Monday, but usually by the weekend, I will get the document dump, so to say, of all the stuff the stuff for me to review and vote on the next Tuesday. And so my Saturday morning is filled with research, I guess, and reading. And so um, at that point, I know that I introduced the ordinance and wanted to know what what was changed about it because I wasn't given the delta. I was given the, here's the new, what the new, or that section of our ordinance looks like. And so to me, to find out what changed, I actually went and printed out the the current ordinance, held them side by side. And compared Maybe it. I didn't print it. I just helped on the screen and then say, oh, you've, we've, in, we've made this change and introduced this as an allowable use and such. Mm. And so that prepared me to ask in the meeting, you know, why did we uh, increase the impervious coverage? Right. Uh, why did we increase the the height? Um, and when you ask what that, what was the answer that was given? Um, I was given that um, a couple of things that these were um, changes that were little tweaks to make it more um, receptive to businesses. Uh, they, mm. uh, I'm trying to remember the audio was actually available online. Uh, at least I believe it is. Uh, but in any case, the um, I remember talking about um, how we wanted to take advantage of the rail use. And the the rail line only affects a couple of properties in that entire zone. And so, um, you know, uh, they, the feeling at the time was that um, taking advantage of the rail use in those in that area uh, would le- lead to some businesses that would... Um, uh, be good for the town. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, which is, no, no, I mean, it's important. And you're right, the, the audio is available online and I'm going to include some clips of it in, in this, mm. this podcast. But the, um, I mean, the, but the, the, the bottom line, the reason I asked that question is that we now know that that's not why these were put through, right? So now that you know and you've heard Diamond Chip's lawyer on record in a legal setting while he had a microphone in front of his face say that these changes were put through specifically to make this application a permitted use. Yep, I did hear that. And just for everyone that's listening now, in case you know you popped onto late or whatever, but w- when something is a permitted use, there is no community review of things like the traffic that's generated to the community broadly. The, the permitted use exemption legally restricts the Planning and Zoning Board from being able to consider things like that. So now that you've heard... Stephen Go and the lawyer for Diamond Chip say that they influenced the decision. How does that make you feel as an elected council member? Uh, it makes me feel that I can't comment on the application itself. I understand the question though, but uh, when I asked, I asked specifically about uh, the traffic uh, uh, impact on the traffic, and I was told that um, at this point it, it's irrelevant. Um, so they said to you that it's a permitted use of ordinance changes don't get into traffic. Uh, and I, and I mentioned specifically, oh, well, are we talking, you're, you're talking about getting the rail in, involved in this stuff. That sounds like, uh, a, a, something that might impact traffic. Are we talking two trucks or 200 trucks a day? And they said, and they said irrelevant. They wouldn't answer the question. That's, that's not, that discussion is not relevant to an ordinance change. So like, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's quite extraordinary that at every step along the way, even an elected official's ability to demand some higher level of transparency in this process was just batted away pretty flippantly. Um, 
I mean, I it, that that might be correct. It might be. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was correct that uh, ordinance changes do not um, rely on traffic studies. Um, but it was a concern, and whether or not the engineer thought it was a concern is maybe irrelevant. Uh, it, we were the one; the council was the one who was making the um, making the, the approval in the end. And if the council deemed that this might have had an impact on the traffic, then it was up to us to say, "Yeah, yeah." So I'm, I'm not. Uh, should the should the um, should the engineer have told us this might yield traffic problems? I don't know. I'm. I'm yeah, yeah. No, it's it's just a, the, the the engineer is in a very powerful position and he's unelected and there's no recourse. So it's just something that I'm investigating. Um, what do you want to see happen now? So so Council Member Wildsmith is um, working to initiate um, a motion for you guys to vote publicly on to rescind those ordinance changes. Um, would you vote yes if uh, if a motion like that were to be put in front of you? You know, um, I don't want to speak for Councilman Wildsmith, of course, um, but it is that was a fair question. I did introduce um, a recommended ordinance change a couple of months ago about uh, and removing warehouses as an allowable use in in all zones. I think that in hindsight, I think that was way too much of a blunt instrument, uh, and that was I I, I was um, I, I kind of uh, wish I hadn't had gone there because it. It, it was way too blunt. We, uh, I've since learned, I mean, I knew we had warehouses in Sparta, but we have, I think, about 30 of them right now. Yeah. The largest one is, I want to say, 95,000 square feet. Uh, I, I was given that information from our, our town manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next largest one is in the 30s. So there's one large-ish one and, right. and whatever. Uh, but if you make a change that says you can't have warehouses, it was really kind of dumb because now you've immediately made all those warehouses not conforming. Um, that's yeah, that's I mean, that's that's not cool. But it's crazy that you, we even have to be, or you even have to be considering measures like that in order to try and ameliorate well, was, some of the harm. Well, I was what I was trying to do, and I wasn't trying to literally do that. I was trying to initiate a conversation. Uh, let's let's okay, wh- where's where can we go from here? Um, and uh, as and so far, we're still having that conversation. It seems. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that we are is the problem, or maybe we're not. Well, I don't know. And that's something that's really important to. to you know, that I'm going to continue to focus on is that all of these sort of death throws that go on through this approval process where, you know, they agree to little changes to the scope of various studies, but they know that they won't be included in the decision. You know, they, there just seems to be a, it seems to be a pretty common theme that there's an undertaking to review something when there's knowledge that there's no mechanism for that review to actually influence the outcome. And I'm not asking you to comment on that. It's just me pontificating. Yeah. One thing that did come up a couple of months ago was there was an ordinance change to change the the traffic on a couple of roads in that area. One was Fiddler's Way, I want to believe. I can't remember the third one. And and those the changes to those uh, to two of the roads was to eliminate traffic over four tons, six tons. Can't remember the the the, the limit uh, to, to basically keep trucks off of those roads. And I believe those roads were in that area where the uh, application is. The other change that was proposed in that ordinance was to do the do the reverse, which was to allow traffic over four tons on White Lake Road. Uh, and if you're familiar with White Lake Road, it, it comes off um, and goes to the, was that north? Um, yeah, I know where it is, yeah. I've been hanging around there, out there in my car, counting cars and interviewing motorists and... <laughs> 
that was a that was a, a red flag for me because that road uh, not only does it have uh, a recreation area where children play, it has a high school on that literally cuts the the, the middle of the campus there, and it has a day uh, a, a summer camp there. Well, this is the road that Sally. And it's a windy road. This is the road that Sally Larson asked to be included in ex- the traffic expand study to be expanded to include at the. I mean, I was at that road. I thought she mentioned the. So there were two. So the first, I'm pretty sure that West Mountain. I, th- I thought that it was West Mountain, and then and then the lake. She, I'm pretty sure she said lake as well, but maybe I'm wrong on that. But I mean, her point is the that the point is the same, which is that um, there won't be a review of traffic generated in um, into those. It doesn't appear to be, you know, at, at, at the current at the current time. Um, but if there's a change to the use of those on those roads, that does come from the council. And when that came up, I I wanted to carve that out. And and uh, luckily uh, or fortunately, other council members agreed with me, and we did carve that out. And so the the road the the use on that road wasn't changed, and it's still to uh, to my knowledge still limited to four tons, six tons. Can't remember what it was. And so what we what you're describing is how that how the, how the process should work. Yeah, that's what you've just described is how this process should work. Um, there, there should be, a, you, let's have a discussion on policy. I think we should do this. What do you think? Mm. I think we should do this way. What about this? And then, and then you, you have your experts chime in to help us, you know, steer us in one. Okay. That's, that's, they're not steering us, but they should provide guidance to, to mm. help you go in one direction or another. If you, if you say this, you have to consider this, or if you do this, these might be the consequences. And that's, um, you know, none of us. I'm I'm in technology right now. I'm a project manager. We have people that are in all uh, lots of different professions. None of us have expertise in managing a town. Yeah, um, we might have some people have more experience than others, but experience is not the same thing as skill or education level. And so um, uh, we have to rely on our experts for for guidance. Uh, if I'm if I need to make a decision on a on a um, a sewage treatment plant. I don't know a lot about sewage treatment plants, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I need to talk to my expert to tell me, you know, we have a decision to make. Give me some information to help me guide me in the decision. And and we have a town manager who is literally an expert on managing a town. A person has degrees in township administration. We have a, a law a lawyer that's an expert in the jurisprudence part of it. And we have, um, you know, a CFO who is an expert financially. We have an engineering expert. And those are the people that we we need to rely on to help us make good decisions. And we need those people to be vocal and and holding our hand and and there when we need them. So that, that I think that's a good, um, a good point to sort of wrap up on, right? Which is that, so the the nature of, of being an elected member in a, in a small township is that obviously it's not your full-time job. As you pointed Sometimes out, Sometimes it feels and, that way. And yeah, <laughs> I bet. Um, but then, um, but you know, you, you are going to have to draw down on all sorts of expertise in an ongoing manner because that's the only. And so, the process of drawing down on that expertise is actually really important to the community and something the community should understand. Um, and and perhaps we can do a, a better job of of codifying that relationship and of um, you know making making it clear and open and transparent for the public and that you know that would be a really good proactive measure to not to doing you know not as it pertains to diamond chip but as it pertains to whoever the next person that comes that wants to build something very large is would you know that that would improve the process if there was some more accountability there oh yeah i always in in 
and before I started going to meetings, you know, a year before I got elected, uh, I, I would often find myself and and uh, one local online <laughs> reporter as the only people in the room, and I and Jenny and and I I just assumed that you know we would be there and get yelled at every day. You know, why aren't you picking up my garbage um, or whatever else there is? Because why would you go to a town hall meeting unless you had something to, to a beef to pick? Um, and I was perfectly prepared for that, and and almost looking forward to it. I I I, I manage tense or difficult situations, kind of my, my job. And uh, I was, I'm, I'm still up and well, up until recently when now we, we were living in a different environment, but uh, it wasn't until this came along where we actually had any scrutiny. Yeah. Scrutiny is the wrong word, but any real attention paid to what we do. And I always found that kind of a, a bummer. Yeah. I don't think it's an uncommon story. I think that, you know, oftentimes it takes some sort of event for for people's attention to be really to be drawn and and buy in from the community, like because all of a sudden people know it's matters. I mean, I mean, I know it's this is not like you know watching Dancing with the Stars is probably infinitely more entertaining than listening to us exactly. Talk about but it. people care about it because they don't want the you know they don't they don't want the impact of the community. But to if be you're fun. not, if you're not. Sure. But if you're not if you're not there because you're 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 missing the Knicks game because you're watching a council meeting, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you're maybe you're reading about it in the paper and and this is where you know you, you need you know to elect the right you know people if you, if you want to make sure your voice is heard and you need to rely on journalism to tell you this is tell me what I should be paying attention to um, and then also part of that as we talked about earlier the town council telling you. Um, dude, we're doing this next week. Um, maybe you want to show up for this because it's an interesting discussion we're going to have. I've spoken to a lot of people, like, and there's a lot of threads to pull on here, right? And, and, but also, like, I've been walking around down on the boardwalk and interviewing people in person and stuff like that. And one, one thing that really jumps out to me is that a lot of people just don't know that this is going on. Like the the way I came to this whole story is is by seeing the lawn signs. And I was like, hmm, what's a mega warehouse? And then I start, I read a couple of things online that Jenny Derricks had written, which were fabulous. And um, yeah, very good. And um, and and I was like, uh, okay, this looks like it might deserve a bit of attention. So Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, this is really like, uh, it's really great for you know, you to come and allocate time like this to speak to the community. Um, I'm looking forward to having Molly on to do the same. And um, we got lots of different members of the community all all giving different views. Um, so hopefully we can continue to raise awareness. Yep. I, not only Molly, we with other members of the council. Um, I hope everybody can take avail themselves of being able to talk to people. Well, if you if you uh, if you're any chance of convincing any of the other three to talk to me, please do your best. I'm uh, I don't want to be prejudicial, but I'm tipping they're probably going to say no. Um, but I will ask them all every day. All right, uh, Dan, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Cheers. And that's a wrap for episode one. Uh, I'm hoping that by shining a light on the process unfolding at our town council, I can introduce some accountability to this process. So to that end, I'll grant any person an interview on this show. If you're for the project, against the project, or undecided, everyone's welcome. Send me an email at the address in the episode notes if you want to come on, and we'll tee something up. I'll be putting one or two of these out a week going forward, introducing new findings from my investigation and also interviewing a broad spectrum of the community on their views about the project. So please share this with anyone you know in Sparta because I think people deserve to know what's going on. Righto, until next time, take it easy Sparta 